For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has carried us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. This is a reading from John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Mary. Well, we're in the fifth Sunday of Lent, uh, and Lent is, is just this long 40-day journey in the wilderness where we are, um, some of us are giving something up, and at this point, it's long. It just feels long, and Easter feels like a long way away. And this, uh, I heard a preach back there, uh, this particular passage is sort of a weird one uh, in terms of Lent, in terms of like, what, what, what are we to take out of this passage? Uh, Mary uh, does something extravagant by spilling perfume intentionally on the feet of Jesus uh, and then wiping his feet with her hair. And then Judas Iscariot is there, uh, and then there's this, John is usually so kind and nice, you know, but he puts that parentheses in there, oh, yeah, Judas didn't care about the poor, he's just a thief. Uh, and... Um, Right, and then Jesus, no, hey, don't leave her alone. She bought this for my burial. Uh, you know, but then clearly he's, he's not dead yet, right? And so she's jumped the gun a little bit, which is, I don't know if he's pointing that out or not, but it's just a, it's just a weird text. It's a weird portion. Uh, so um, Jesus, just context-wise, where we're at in the story is he's about to go into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, but everybody's telling him not to because uh, the leaders have essentially told them that if he goes into Jerusalem, they will arrest him, put him on trial, and of course they do, and he is found guilty of um, being a criminal, and he's executed, and that's what happens to Jesus. And So right before he heads into Jerusalem, this dinner is given in his honor. And this is just after Lazarus is at Lazarus' home. And Lazarus is the guy who died, but then Jesus raised from the dead. And so that was getting a lot of press. Uh, literally, people were leaving the, the, the synagogue and going to follow Jesus. And that was creating all kinds of tension in the religious community. 
And I'm picturing, if I'm Jesus and I know I'm going into Jerusalem, what I want is just to enjoy a dinner with my friends. Maybe drink a little wine and have some lamb and, and just enjoy, right? But all of a sudden, all this craziness breaks out. Martha is still the one who's serving and doing all the cooking and cleaning up. And Mary, I mean, I love the gesture. It's beautiful and it's extravagant. On the other hand, part of me wants to say, Mary, get in the kitchen for once. Like, you know, maybe, maybe, like, maybe save that perfume, give it to Martha, right? Uh, Judas is there, and apparently everyone knew he was a thief, but he's there anyway, you know? So Jesus isn't saying like, hey, by the way, Judas, you're a thief, get off of my team. He just still on the team, about to betray Jesus, still on the team. And Jesus is sitting there at dinner trying to enjoy his wine, trying to enjoy his lamb, trying to enjoy his hummus, and all hell is breaking out around him. So um, Lazarus is in the room. He was dead. He's now alive. So life is in the room. You ever been in a room where life is in the room and you can feel it? And it's like, whoa, someone's just been through something and they're just bursting with newness and energy and, and like, you're not going to believe this, you guys, but, right? So that's in the room. Jesus is in the room, and he's going to die soon, and he knows it. So death is in the room. You ever been around someone that they know something bad's about to happen, and you can just feel it? And it's not like um, they're not pretending it's not going to happen, but it's just there. Right? So that's in the room, too. Life is in the room with death. Uh, and then here's an all-play question. All plays are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo, uh, what else is in the room? Yeah, perfume, exactly. Perfume is in the room. I remember at this church I used to work at, I used to hug this woman that sat right behind me, and she smelled beautiful. But whenever I hugged her, man, I smelled beautiful for <laughs> the rest of the day, for real. Uh, and, you know, so with the smell of perfume, why is in the room? What else is in the room? Fear, yeah, because Jesus is going into Jerusalem and everyone knows it. Bethany is just two, two miles outside of Jerusalem. So, and Bethany, by the way, means house of the poor. What else is There's excitement in the room. They're together and there's this movement that is happening around Jesus. He's healing people. He's just raised someone from the dead. I mean, what else might happen, right? No one, I don't know that. The disciples really believe that he's actually going to die at this point. I think he does, but at this point, his disciples are, and he's saying it. You know, he says, she bought it for my burial, right? But they're, maybe they're thinking, well, yeah, your burial, you know, in 10 or 20 years, sure. Uh, remember, people, Judas is condescending judgment. Yes, thank you so much, right? Like, here we see in Judas a very typical insufferably self-righteous, progressive liberal attitude, don't we? <laughs> don't we? You could have given it to the poor. Right? And I got to say that because that's me most of the time. Um, what else is in the room? Food is in the room. Thank you, Mary. Food, the smell of food. and We have... Pita and hummus and olives probably and 
feta and lamb and mmm, which Martha has made all of it. With that? Yes, the serving nature, servitude of Martha, that's in the room. Generosity's in the room. Tension is in the room, Pam, big time. Mary is in the room, yes, with her beautiful hair and her perfume. Yes, thank you. What's your name? Ramona. I love that name. Thank you for saying Mary was in the room. Well, um, as I've said, Martha is in the room. She's serving everybody. Mary's in the room. She's anointing Jesus' feet with perfume, and she's wiping them with her hair. And in the first century, for a Jewish woman to put her hair down would have been scandalous, really. Like, hair should be covered, hair should be up. And so to put her hair down in front of men would have been like, it's hard to even explain how scandalous that would have seemed. In fact, the story is told in all, in all four Gospels, and in two of them, the story's changed that she anoints Jesus' head, not his feet, right? So you got to ask, well, okay, was it his head or his feet? Was it both? Why did it change? So one argument, I don't know if I agree with it or not, but it was changed in the other two Gospels to clean it up a little bit, right? To sanitize it. I mean, you can't have disciples of Jesus letting down their hair. What would people say about the whole movement? It's scandalous. Another Gospel changes it so much It's not even at Lazarus' house, it's at a Pharisee's house. And it's not Mary, it's a woman. It's not only a woman, it's a sinful woman that comes in and anoints his feet with perfume and and washes them. And maybe that's a different story, maybe, could be. But I'm just saying, like, it's a a really extravagant gesture on Mary's part. Um, And I love it. I love what she does. Because sometimes you got to do the thing that doesn't really make sense. You know what I mean? Sometimes you just got to go there and you got to deal with whatever consequences come, right? On the other hand, too, as I pointed out, she could have spent a little more time in the kitchen, probably, helping her sister. Now, it's not about her being a woman. That's just about her, like, sometimes choosing not to sit at the feet of Jesus and actually helping her sister. Lazarus could have made the same choice. We are in the first century, though. Um, So that's all in the room. Judas is in the room. And as has been pointed out, his self-righteous judgment of Mary's gift. Oh, my goodness, Ramona, can I high five? (laughs) Jesus is definitely in the room. And he's just patiently listening to all this, I think, for a little while. Again, he's trying to eat his hummus and his olives, his feta, Exactly. Uh, don't forget Jesus is in the room. That, that maybe should be the title of this sermon, right? Uh, so we'll get to Jesus. I, I promise you, Ramona, I promise you. But Judas is in the room, and what Judas says is interesting, right? Hey, that, that was a year's wages is what that cost, he said. Shouldn't that have been given to the poor? Now, let's, let's feedback about that. Was that wrong, what he said? That's a good answer. I don't know. Ramona says. Anyone else? You know what? Maybe it's... 
Sometimes the Bible just wants the question to be asked, though, right? So, is it wrong for Judas to have said that? What are his intentions? Does he really care about the poor, or does he want the money to go into the purse so he can steal it? What do we think about that? It's sad. Yeah. What's sad? Yes, Joe said it's sad that Judas experienced this extravagance, and the only thing he could think about was himself. Imagine being so caught in, the, in a cycle of thinking that that's, like you can't even let goodness in because it just flows through the, your judgmental, uh, right? So Judas is definitely in the room. Jesus is in the room. Leave her alone. He says, she bought these for my burial, um, which I think is a, is a really important, Jesus stood up for Mary in her extravagant uh, gift. And Lazarus doesn't say a word, right? Which is typical, like when you've been through something like dying and rising again, I assume, I can only assume, you'd probably be in a contemplative place, right? <laughs> you know, where you, where you speak a little less, you listen a little more. But, but, you, but I'm sort of wondering, what is he thinking in, in all this, in this whole story? Like, as he's watching this whole thing play out. Um, but he doesn't say anything. So, um, I think there's so many things going on here, but, and, and I think you can, I think the danger would be for all of us to say, well, there's a right way to respond there's only one right way to respond to Jesus, and Mary did the exact right thing, and I want to be more like Mary. And Judas, man, that jerk. Um, I want to be less like him, and I think I do want to be less like him, and I do want to be more like Mary, but the reality is, here in the church, us, we are at the table with Jesus and with each other, aren't we? That's where we are. Imagine us all sitting around a table, and we're trying to honor Jesus because we love him. Uh, we have gone from death to life. Some of us have prepared the food. Some of us have brought extravagant gifts and are extravagant in the way in which we like to give them. Some of us have misgivings about how others are loving and serving Jesus. And this is us, right? This is the church. We're Martha, we're Mary, we're Judas, we're Lazarus. We're going to express our love to Jesus in extravagant and beautiful ways, and we'll also be motivated by our own greed, and we will accuse each other and shame each other at times for not doing the thing that we would have done or for doing the thing that we wouldn't have done. That's who we are, and we want to believe like the church is just the gathering of people who think the same way and believe the exact same thing about everything, and we're just not going to, you know, like we're not going to hurt each other. And then we read a story like this in the Bible, and we, and we realize the church is the community of Jesus gathered around each other in the presence of Jesus, and Jesus lets us do our family business in front of him without overly correcting us. He lets it play out. And if this is the church, we're Mary, we're Martha, we're Judas, we're Lazarus, 
then this is me, you and me too, individually. Like, I'm Mary at times. I'm extravagant with love at times. And I'm also Judas at times. I'm stingy with my judgment of others. Um, I'm Lazarus. I think I've gone through death and a rebirth. I'm also sometimes, can we identify with Jesus? I'm also sometimes the person that is sitting at the place of honor listening to the people that I love bicker with each other and say, stop it! And so are you. And that all lives inside of you in the presence of Jesus. Doesn't it? And that's part of what this story is telling us, is that in the presence of Jesus, we are human beings who need to learn how to love each other and listen to each other and understand each other and forgive each other and forgive yourself and have compassion for yourself. And as you fumble your way all along in the presence of Jesus, we learn how to more and more become like Jesus, who is patient and kind and who will march into Jerusalem to die on a cross to show us just how much God loves us. So um, my own personal cards face up on the table. I've had a really hard last nine months um, as a pastor and as a person for a whole lot of reasons. It's been hard. And, may, and I know a lot of your stories. You've had a hard nine months too. But sometimes I've been Mary, and I've done extravagant things that have made no sense to a lot of people. And sometimes I've been Judas, and I've been really stingy in judgment about how I think about people. And I say that um, hopefully as a way of giving you permission to feel however it is that you are feeling about whatever journey you are on, that at times you will be extravagant with love and at times you will be stingy. And so what if we could bring all of that without any shame or judgment of ourselves and just bring all of it to Jesus and say, here it all is. Here's my judgment and here's my love and here's my death to life and here's my, you know, maybe I'm Martha and I'm serving all the time but I am mad all the time because no one else is helping me. So it's not even out of a sweet place. It's out of a just resentful place. And maybe I go too far with my extravagant expressions of love, and maybe all that is out there. And what if I could just be at the table with Jesus with that holding it all honestly? And what if I could find some grace and mercy from Jesus in that? And that voice, whatever that voice that says to yourself, you shouldn't have been that, or you shouldn't have done that, or you should have done that. What about if you could hear Jesus' voice saying to that voice that's shaming you, like Judas's voice does, hey, leave him alone. Leave her alone. She, she bought it for my burial, which is essentially saying she's doing the best she knows how. Which is true about 99.7% of us. We're just trying the best we know how to do in every situation. Amen? We're just trying to show up. <laughs> and as we gather around the table with Jesus, he has patience with us.
What if we could have patience with each other? What if we could listen to each other and have good conversations and expand and share what we think and feel, but be a little less defensive? That's a lesson for me. Just a little less defensive, a little more expansive, a little more generous. So the church, beloved, is a community who gathers together in all of our humanity in the presence of Jesus. We worship together and we hurt each other. We're extravagant with our love for each other and we're stingy with our accusations. We offer forgiveness and we hold grudges. We seek to understand each other and we caricature each other. And the only way I know how to like bring, participate in, in a redemptive community is if all of that stuff can be on the table and then we can look at each other and still smile and say, it's okay. We can be a community that hurts each other and receives forgiveness. That is too extravagant, maybe at times, but we'll get the, the looking in each other's eyes and saying, it's okay. He was a little stingy with judgment at times. I forgive you. That would be a community that would be worth being a part of, wouldn't it? I think it would. So on the fifth Sunday of Lent, as we consider this weird dinner party where lots of tension happens, may it be an invitation for us to bring our honest and authentic human lives to each other and to Jesus as we gather around the table to receive all kinds of mercy and grace and life in the middle of our greed and stinginess and death. Amen.